When it comes to playing in a band, everyone seems to come off like an expert. Many, many, many times I've been given unsolicited advice by people who have played a handful of shows or been on the road for a weekend or who managed their cousin's band in college. You've heard of mansplaining by now, I'm sure, a recently popularized term to describe the innate male urge to condescend to mainly women, but not always, about the most inane basic stuff. The term should be commandeered to fit the music industry as well. Maybe call it music experting or rock-splaining, I don't know. But being told how to properly do things by self-ordained music specialists, be them managers, label execs, or simple comments on Facebook, makes one wonder why all these experts haven't managed to build their own U2s or Jay-Zs by putting their own advice to use. Sarcastic preambles aside, I think it's a given that everyone has an opinion when it comes to the music biz because everybody wants in, whether it's being a manager, producer, or band member. As a member of a band myself, I think I can tender some opinions gleaned from actual experience. And when I think about it, no matter how many claim to have been in a band or worked with a band, in reality, only a handful in comparison have actually gone through the process. So when I actually meet people who are in bands and who have been doing it for a long time and that we have a history with, no matter how many years seem to have passed between us, there is a shared experience that immediately puts us on the same wavelength, woven from the same cloth, and chipped from the same block, even though we may be very different people with very differing ideas. Recently, we completed an eight-week trek across Europe with Volbeat. It was a remarkable success. In the rock genre we reside in, Volbeat are its kings. They are a phenomenon that have taken everybody, music fan and music insider, by storm. They're an established arena rock ticket that only seem to be getting bigger and bigger. I've known Volbeat singer Michael Polson since 2006. We toured America with them in 2013, and I sang on the song Black Rose on their Seal the Deal and Let's Boogie album from 2016, and that song went number one on active radio in America. So it was a great reconnection hooking back up with their camp. When the tour was confirmed, we found out that alongside us as main support would be Baroness. Baroness are a band we've shared the stage with at a few festivals over the years. We first played with them in 2008 in Cologne, Germany for a Visions magazine event alongside Kailessa and Blackmail. And I had guitarist Pete Adams on this podcast along with Steve Zing and London May when Sam Hain reunited for seven shows back in 2014, episode 81. They've gone through numerous member changes since our 2008 introduction, but I was honestly surprised to find out on the first day of the Volbeat tour in Newcastle, England, that we had already played shows with Baroness drummer Sebastian Thompson since he's also the drummer for Trans Am. Trans Am, although not very active anymore, is a three-piece, mainly instrumental band on Thrill Jockey Records that meld Krautrock, progressive, electronic, hard rock, indie rock, and punk rock elements to form an exciting, very aggressive slash progressive, synthetically pleasing new sound. Honest to goodness, 
I lived by their first self-titled album, worshipped it almost, and their terrific follow-up, Surrender the Night. After that, I must admit, I didn't keep up with them, but not deliberately. I checked in with Future World when I saw posters for it at a club somewhere, but after that, I wasn't even sure they were still a band until Sebastian reintroduced himself to us. And what a pleasant surprise. Even though we only played a few shows with Trans Am back in the day, they remembered us and we remembered them. Even bumping into Phil Manley at South by Southwest years later confirmed to me that formative experiences tend to stick around and that's the shield I use when confronted by idiots masquerading as music industry oracles. When you have too much time to do something, aka an eight-week tour of arenas, the tendency can be to never get it done. But thankfully, we got this podcast episode done. You would think eight weeks would be enough time to record a podcast chat, but it's also easier to postpone it for the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and pretty soon, you don't get it done. However, when Sebastian and I finally sat down to chat, All that deferring helped build anticipation, and this episode is a nice walk down memory lane as much as it is a current look at the Volbeat Tour from a completely different angle. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed chatting and touring with Sebastian. This podcast doesn't have any sponsors or merch. I do this simply to kill time on the road and to generally keep myself busy and because I like the sound of my own voice, in case you haven't figured that out yet. But I will ask if you guys could leave a comment on the various iTunes stores. It helps the podcast's profile. kind of makes it look legit. However you're listening to this, be it Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud, I thank you. So, without further ado, Sebastian Thompson, drummer of Baroness and Trans Am, is this episode's guest on the Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kids, take us, go out, tell them for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Get me in from fucked up. Stop playing hanged out. When the weather is bad and there's nothing much to do, take a listen, would you now, to what Danko Jones would do? It's the middle of the night and you better do it fast. Turn the speakers up loud for Danko's podcast. They told him he was too crazy to rock and roll. But now, he's going to talk their ears off. It's the official Danko Jones podcast. Danko's got a podcast, and he won't shut up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready, because the Danko Jones podcast starts now. Let's do it. It's it's happening right now. We're doing it right now. Sick. Uh, first, I gotta say, phew. Yeah. I thank know. God for for you saying yes to this. Dak and I have been on tour for eight weeks now, and I've been procrastinating podcasting. And then you bailed. Pod podcastinating. Podcast podcastinating. 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 Yeah. And then you bailed on the Regal Beagle podcast. I did. I did. I started. You know. I mean, I will talk a little bit about Three's Company. Go for it. So. I came to America as a five-year-old, and it was like, that was like 1979 or something, and it was on TV, and it was one of the few sitcoms that I did watch as a little kid, 
because mainly I liked, you know, like cartoons and sci-fi shit or whatever. I didn't like I didn't like sitcoms, but I watched that because it was like more sort of like, like sexy, sexy. It was like you know what, what's fresh or whatever. You know what I mean? Like back then it was yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry to say, Danko, and for the listeners, we we tried watching one recently, and I was just kind of like, I didn't find it very funny. Yeah, well, you know, listen, it was uh, Gina and Nick yeah. and yourself from Baroness yeah. tried to watch an episode because yeah. you agreed I know. to be on the Regal Beal pod- podcast. Yeah. Couldn't get through it. Um, you guys found the sexist, the joke <laughs> sexist and homophobic. It, honestly, and no, no, honestly. You was, were above that. No, it was just, it just, I just didn't laugh. I don't mind a bit of, like, un PCness, but I just wasn't, wasn't, I just didn't laugh. So you couldn't get through this 22-minute episode on a day off. On a day off, because I just thought I would, we would just end up talking shit on it like I'm doing right now. Which podcast are we doing, by the way? We're doing the official Danko Jones okay, podcast, which has been going on for eight years. Nice. And, I mean, I could run all the guests that have been on it if you need I'm, no, no, I'm, uh, no, I'm a certain sure amount of company. accreditation. I'm sure I'm in great company. You are? Yeah. Yeah, I believe you. Um, so we're on this tour together with Volby. We've been doing it now for uh, six weeks, I think. Yeah, you guys went home. Baroness stayed on tour. Right. So we started, it's now eight weeks. November 15th or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we started September 20th. Kind of, yeah. So, so this has been the longest official single tour. I've done a three-month tour with Trans Am, but it was like three tours back-to-back. So there was a little bit of there was like mini breaks. Oh, right. Two different bands, different people. It was different. It was like one month in North America, one month in Europe, and one month in Australia, New Zealand. That's enough of a break and difference. But you've yeah. been on Europe. Had, each each section had a different vibe. This right. has been the same tour for eight the weeks. Same people, the same, same people. tour. Yeah, same crew. You see the same my face. You guys. Well, you guys went home. You guys went home for twelve days. For twelve yeah, days yeah, and went yeah. back to yeah Toronto. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah. So I'm losing my mind. I got you. <laughs> Um, but but um, hopefully doing the podcast will give you a little bit of uh, um, a breather, or or, or, or you can reboot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I intend to make this a walk down memory lane. I'm into that. I'm going to need you to jog my memory a little bit because. Well, first of all, it was I, a long time ago. I did not know you were in Baroness, uh, and the first day of the tour, Rich told me that. Hey, the drummer from Baroness says that he toured with you guys, Trans Am. And then I saw you from behind, and yeah. you have a ponytail, yeah. and you had like a, a track top, like a tracksuit top yeah. with a hoodie, like a hoodie top. Yeah. And I was like, no, that dude's lying. Yeah. He was never in Trans Am. Yeah. And then you turned around, and I was like, and oh, so Baroness is where you landed. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, should I talk about that? Trans Am or how you got into yeah, Baroness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how did you get into Baroness? So the, what what happened was that so Trans Am was I never really had a talk with my buddies in Trans Am about this, but at some point they started sort of turning down uh, tours and stuff. You know, they were just kind of sick of life on the road and or getting married and having kids and whatever. <clears throat> and I was still dedicated to you know life on the road, so. Luckily, the Baroness opportunity came when Trans Am was sort of slowing down. Trans Am is still a band, but it's not how we pay the rent anymore. Right. It's now it's just a three Side three friends it. having fun and making records, you know. Which is what it should be. Which is in an ideal kind world, of, yeah. yeah, with no pressure. Um, so the Baroness thing. So basically, um, Baroness was on tour in twenty. 
was it 2012 or 2013 the accident I think 2012 I don't remember maybe 2013 right yeah yeah they were on tour in England and the bus lost its brakes and then went over a, a, a bridge and they all got pretty fucked up especially John the singer got, broke his arm in multiple places but it got reconstructed but Alan, the drummer, hurt his back and didn't really want to tour anymore. Mm-hmm. So John wanted to find a new drummer. And same thing with the bass player, Matt. And they wanted to find a new rhythm section. So he called my buddy John Theodore, who, I don't know if you remember this, so Danko and I know each other from the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And when we were touring together, the, the guitars in Trans Am had another band called Golden. And the drummer in that band was John Theodore. Okay. So okay. I've been friends with John... Theodore's for whatever, 20, 30 years now? Yeah, 30 years. And um, so he was also, John Theodore was also kind of in between bands. He had, he had already quit the Mars Volta. Okay. And John Baisley called John Theodore and said, hey, would you like to play in Baroness? And John Theodore said, I've just been asked to join Queens of the Stone Age. So I'm going to have to pass. Thank you, right? I mean, that's a pretty good fucking opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So awesome for John Theodore. So, But John Theodore said, hey, you know who you should call? You should call Seb from Trans Am. And John Bates was like, oh, I didn't know he would be available or would be into that. Because I think I was very closely associated with Trans Am. You know, like I didn't do many, I didn't drum much outside of that. So it's like, I was like, you know, like, it was like one thing, you know, in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so John Theodore gave John Basie my number. We talked, we chatted, I learned some songs. We jammed, and Pete and John were like, "Hey, yeah, we're going on tour in like a month. Are you, are you ready?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." It was it was that it was that that fast. 2013. I think that yeah, I joined 2013. Yeah, six years ago. Jesus. Right. But. But um, around 2013, now you're also in a band called Weird War. Yes. Were you in Weird War at the time? I wasn't. So Weird War is Ethanonius from Nation of Ulysses and the Makeup, and Michelle May from the Makeup, and Alex Minoff, who played in that band Golden with Phil from Trans Am and right. John Theodore. Right. So it's all we're all old friends. So uh, I did. I made one album with Weird War, Illuminated by the Light. And we did a bunch of touring, and that was really fun. And, I mean, as a drummer, <clears throat> sometimes it's fun because you get to, like, show off, or sometimes it's fun because of whatever you like about the music, but sometimes it's also fun because you're on stage with an incredible frontman. And being on stage with Ian was just entertained me every night. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, like, I'm just, like, back there just, like, with a big smile on my face because he's just, you know, he's such a good entertainer. Yeah, he's... One of the best. Yeah. So that, 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 was, that was really fun. But I, when Weird War was happening, I moved to England. I just, I just sort of had like a life crisis. You're still in Trans Am. Yeah, Trans Am was still happening, but we were not, none of us were living together. For a while, we all lived in D.C. We had a recording studio. And then the other guys moved out of town, uh, California and New Zealand. Because of girls, as you do. And then... I have a British passport because of my grandfather, even though I'm not, I don't consider myself British. But I was like, hey, I have this passport. We sold the studio. I had a bunch of money in the bank account. I knew I had like, I had like two friends in London. And I said, whatever, let's just, I just moved right. without really knowing anybody. And that, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, kind of, I think, was like the last straw for a weird war. Oh. 
I mean, it, it wasn't the main cause. It just made everything more difficult, me being overseas. Well, I mean, was Weird War as prolific as the makeup and now no, chaining no, no, the gang no. to begin with? Definitely not. And I think it was a little bit difficult for Ian and uh, Michelle because it wasn't getting the same attention the makeup got. Yeah. So they were like, it was like, it, it kind of like a reality check for them, you know? I was waiting for Weird War to take off too because I had seen, like, a, like I told you earlier, I'd yeah. seen this early video of them yeah, and yeah. It, was it was amazing cool. yeah, yeah it was, it was cool. really cool yeah i quickly realized when you know we met with ian and michelle and they brought us to dc mm-hmm. to play uh cold rice no, that's awesome and we we didn't even know this was a real thing because yeah, they have yeah. an album and then uh we quickly realized that like everybody knows each other yeah. and dc is kind of like this mythological mecca of of indie rock and punk rock Especially to us in that era yeah, in that era, to to guys like us yeah, who sure. you know who listen to all those bands, and then here we were playing, and then Phil from Trans Am shows up in the front row, and he's fucking going crazy, right. and it was the craziest, most surreal, one of the most surreal shows we've ever played in front of all these Riot girls and all these Nation of Ulysses guys and yeah. Discord white, people. Were there, were there white belts already there? No, 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 <laughs> no uh, uh, I can't, re- I have a photo of everyone who was there. Nice, I, yeah, I was not at that show, I don't know no, why. No, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. know what I was doing that night. But that's when, you know, things started kind of gaining ground for us in terms yeah. of American indie rock, and, but being from Toronto, I realized, oh wow, like, yeah, everybody really knows each other. Yeah. DC's a thing, and a club, yeah. and a look, and a feel, yeah. and a sound. But the thing is, like, it was a little bit hard for Trans Am, because... Like, we did start out playing sort of DC hardcore, but very soon after, we started doing, like, the post-rock, kraut-rock, electronic, yes. whatever thing. And that, I think, alienated a lot of people in oh, the scene. Really? Yeah, yeah, and and eventually, we all became close friends. And I'm still friends with these people, but there was a... It, it, took, it, it took a little doing. We were seen as outsiders, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I can For see while. As, as in sound-wise, <laughs> maybe. Like, yeah. you don't sound like Q, not you, or whatever. Not at all. But knowing Ian, yeah. he would totally get it. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? no, no, no. Eventually, eventually it, it became awesome. And we would do shows together and stuff with, with all the DC bands. But at first, it was just... We also didn't, you know, really fit in, maybe, just stylistically. I don't know. Like, we also... I don't know. We also drank. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, for some oh, people, that wasn't as oh. I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't that um, strict or whatever. But I don't know. It it it, it just took, we we were slightly outsiders, but it, it eventually became very welcoming and a very tight knit community, and really fun and a really good period in my life. It was it was a good time. It was a great time in my life too. I mean, I think when we finally uh, visited DC through Ian and Michelle. We had already played with you guys, and I didn't even know you guys were part of the DC scene. Right, exactly. See how would through sound and also label. Yeah, music. people thought we were Chicago for yeah, a long time I, because I of because God, of Thrill Jockey. Yeah, but yeah, the tour that we did together with you and Six Finger Satellite. We did a couple of shows together. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty sick lineup. Yeah, and I have a flyer for one of those the show. That's right? a really high energy lineup. We did. I think I could swear we did three shows together. Yeah, at least that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And you were interviewed at the time, the the new music, which was a national television music television show, right. that spurned um, J D. Roberts, who's actually on what is it ABC News now as 
John Roberts. He's a he's an anchorman. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's in the yeah. White House at the yeah, press yeah. conferences. So he's Canadian. He was one of the original hosts okay. of this show, of oh, this wow. music magazine show that MTV was inspired by. Wow. Anyways, they were working on a, a story on us, and they interviewed. I said, well, we're playing with Trans Am yeah. this weekend. Yeah. You, you can talk to the guys. And then you were setting up your drums while they're interviewing you. And you said something like, uh, I heard they're pretty good. Uh, I don't know. I was too busy. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's what you said. I swear. If I could find the clip. See, nowadays I have a drum tech. I could have done the interview. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- those days you wore glasses, you had a bomber jacket, and you had yeah. short yeah. hair. Yeah. So had, when I, I saw you on this tour, yeah. I was like, dude, that guy's a liar. Yeah. That wasn't in tra- he wasn't in Trans Am. People want to be me. Just Which you? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was a. I, I mean, I loved your band. I loved you guys. Like the first two albums was yeah. what I I I got, I got locked in on you guys yeah. with, and so uh, those are the albums I remember. But yeah. then now talking to you on this tour, I didn't realize you've put out all these other albums. Oh my god, we've. I think I feel 12 bad. studio albums, oh, a one live album, and a, and a compilation. Okay, well, I got to catch up. I yeah. got to catch up. <clears throat> and there, I got to say, like, I must, this sounds really weird, but I think we've maintained a pretty consistent level of attention. Like, it's not like we're just like, oh, whatever, trans am. To our, to our own music, like to, oh. to making the album. Oh, but I remember when trans am had a. Two-page gatefold oh, no, spread no, no, no. in Spin magazine. Yes, of course. Yes, that I don't. Huge. I know. I'm, I'm not saying attention from the media or the people. I'm, I'm saying we have. We still pay attention to it. The band. Oh. oh like I'm saying, we're, we still like take it seriously. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, no. There was there, there was a period there where we were like almost like, God, oh, there was there was a buzz for sure. Oh yeah. But we we're just like a little too weird and. <clears throat> I think we were just a little bit too like irreverent as far as the music business goes. That I would say is a is cost a lot of bands, yeah. including our band yeah. back in the day. Yeah, we were like, yeah, whatever, fucking thur, yeah. like yeah. this is stupid music yeah. business. Meanwhile, is stupid. you're doing the the photo shoot for. Spain. Yeah, I know, I know. Weren't you guys like supposed to be like it was like Olivia Newton John physical where you're it all was, like? I think sweating? that might have been the alternative press one. Oh, maybe that was. And the yes, one. and we had we were like wearing like tank tops or whatever, and we had the photographer spray us with a. Uh, Glycerin water, right. yeah. so we looked like we were like totally like drenched in. Sweat. Yeah. It was it was a good photo shoot. It was. It looked good. I thought you guys were on your way. I thought we were too, and then I don't know what happened. Fuck. Well, I'm glad that you're here with, <laughs> on in Baroness. Yeah. I mean, I feel insanely lucky that I can. I've still been doing this for what 25 years now. Here's the thing. I I, I did some research. Is this a bullshit thing? You, you were studying your PhD in physics. No, it's true. I was studying a PhD. In well, physics. then why are you doing this, man? You know what? This is this is interesting because okay, so I was. Why the fuck are you doing this? Because I here's the thing. When I was in grad school, I felt okay. When I was in call, when I was in okay, I was always good at math and science and stuff like that. I didn't didn't really have to try too hard. In college, I got a scholarship for that, and I and I. And I got my degree, my undergraduate degree, and then I was like, "Well, what do you do? You you go to you got your PhD, and then you become a professor or a research scientist, right?" And so I started the PhD, and then I realized suddenly I'm now with a whole different bunch of people, and these people are all really, really, really crazy smart and really insanely dedicated and really hard workers. And I just was kind of like, "Hey, maybe this is cool. I don't know." And I so I didn't really fit in, and it's so crazy competitive. I mean, I, I can't think of a more, I mean, I use the word macho. I don't mean physically macho. I mean, just really like 
I'm the smartest person in the world. That's the attitude that yeah, physics right. PhD candidates have. Like, I'm yeah. discovering new truths about reality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, and so, and these people are there, you know, every day of the week, working on stuff, studying, whatever. And I was like, going to band practice, and I just, I just oh, knew. You, oh, you're doing a band at the same yeah, time? Yeah, I, I was still doing Trans Am. So I was like, I'm just gonna fuck, I'm just gonna fall behind, man, you know? Right. And like, and so then Trans Am released our first album with the self-titled, The Blue, the blue, blue Lines, and I was still in graduate school. And then oh. we got invited to tour with Tortoise in America and in Europe. And you know, Tortoise was like tour. Tortoise was pretty big yep, at the time. Then, they oh were, my god, they're the and biggest. They're the biggest. Yeah. So we were playing like we, you know, we'd gone from like playing small shows in DC to like playing for two thousand people with Tortoise in Europe, like in a couple of months. And I was like, you know what? People like what we're doing with this band, and I, th- my my idea was that like being in graduate school just requires hard work. It doesn't require luck. Doing music professionally requires luck and hard work. So I felt like I got to take this luck moment while it lasts, hmm. you know? So you worked it out in your head. Just yeah. Like I was like, I was like, Hey man, I can go back to school in 10 years. But you you know, if all my friends then and now are musicians and they're, they've, they're, they would all kill for that break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, so I took it. My dad was really pissed off at me for like 20 years, you know? Yeah. And and then I've been working. I've never had a day job since then. I've been lucky enough to just play drums, which is amazing. But uh, but of course, there are days when I wake up and I'm like, oh, I should have stayed in grad school, you know? But that, you know, because... you can go back. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like, it's like, it's like working out. Like, if you don't go to the gym for 20 years, you know, my brain is not what it used to be as far as math and stuff like that. Like, you have to, it's, you have to like, phys- it's almost like physical work. For your brain, you know. So you have your BA already, right? Yeah, I have a bachelor's. Yeah, and you have a master's. No, in in normally in physics you go straight from bachelor's to PhD. Oh, okay. because the master's won't get you a job. You have to have a PhD to oh, to get to get right. any job in physics. Right, just because it's so high level. It's, it's up there, yeah. So, Jesus. So the th- so I, I do have these thoughts sometimes, like you know, like I mean, being a musician is awesome, but it is very, it's scary. If I if I break my ankle, like yeah. I'm done. I'm fucked, you know. Like right, that's it. It's right. like it's like being an athlete or something. It's really scary, yeah. right? Especially as a drummer. As a drummer, and or also like if suddenly your band, the band you're in, becomes completely uncool, right? Out of and it's out of the band's control. You're yeah. you're done. Yeah. Right. So it's it's scary, and so the, of course there are days where I'm like, hey, man, I should have stayed in grad school. But I I was doing laundry in Zurich, and I met a physicist, who was an American dude. This is two weeks ago. And he is a professional physicist who's homeless because he's pushing uh, his own... He's trying to get attention for his own new theory. So that the, the, one of the big problems in physics is how you can reconcile general relativity with quantum mechanics, which are the two foundations of modern physics. But when you... They work in their own zones, but when you put them together, they kind of don't meld. So everybody's trying to figure out how to fix that. And he has his own, you know theory about that but he's not really getting any traction so he, I, don't th- I don't think he's been hired by any university and this guy was probably like 60 and he's homeless and like sleeping on friends couches and like going from university to university trying to get support for his ideas and it made me think I'm like wow dude it's it's really not easy even I mean the only way to really make money with a PhD in physics is to work for the military industrial complex right designing bombs 
and I, I didn't want to do that. Right. The other thing you do is you become a professor, which is not easy, or you become a high school teacher, which is nobody's, I don't think it's anybody's first choice if, in that situation. Right. And then if you want to do research, like, it's, the thing is, like, like people have this romantic idea of like uh, like the physicist as like the lone genius Albert Einstein figuring shit out but nowadays it's like it's it's like teams of like 300 scientists and like crazy amounts of like data analysis and so like if you work at like CERN like the the, the super collider like you end up just doing like data entry for like a team of 500 physicists right. you know what i'm saying you're like a pa on a film shoot yeah so it's just like i i feel like maybe i'm I, i'm doing a bit of sour grapes right now you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe it's a good thing that I quit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's that the physicist guy sounds like this, the, the you know, a 50 year old guy who's trying to pedal his demo to the exactly, the exactly. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, if I mean, personally, for me, like, I'm still a musician because I was lucky enough that people cared what I was doing in my 20s. I would have, I would not have pushed it. You know, I would, I would have done something else. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you wouldn't have been the guy knocking on the doors. No. People just kind of yeah. did it for I you. I mean, you do have to push yourself a little bit. Yeah, I'm just saying, you have to put yourself out there. I'm just saying, like, if, if, you're, if you're trying for, like, 15 years, and it's not, you know, maybe you should do something else. Right. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And I'm not saying you have to be huge. I'm saying, if you can't, like, go on tour and make money after 15 years of trying, maybe, maybe, you, should, maybe you should do something wrong. I don't know. <laughs> sounds, sounds really negative. No, I, uh, you know, but that's the hard, sometimes that's the hard truth. Yeah, yeah, totally. So. And, then, and then I feel like a lot of musicians end up with jobs that they didn't really, like jobs that you, you keep, you take jobs because you can work part-time and go on tour, and then that just becomes your life. It's, it's a part-time job. Yeah, exactly, yeah, which, yeah. Was, which was not your first, it was, it was not your second choice, it was your, your fifth choice. Oh yeah, you know what I'm I mean, saying as, uh, as a job. Those are the flexible jobs that allow yeah, you to yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. I, we've all done that as yeah. as musicians, yeah. and and uh, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a, a a dressing down or a humbling when totally. when you run into old high school mates, yeah. and you're trying to explain to them, well, you, you can't give them the whole story, right. and it's and yeah, they're, they're like whatever, running some company yeah. and whatever. Yeah, there's been a few of those <laughs> moments yeah. in my life. Yeah, and you're yeah. like. Yeah, I'm getting in my van now. <laughs> yeah. But then now I see them following me on Facebook, yeah. so fuck you. Yeah, fuck them. Fuck you. Yeah. They're all miserable in their midlife crisis. We're right? still rocking. Right in this fucking smelly Yeah, just so, just so the listeners know, we're in, like, <laughs> we're in an arena in Cologne, and we're like in the locker room, shower room. This is as big as you can get this in terms like, of rock music. Oh, my God, yeah. We're on tour with a band called Volbeat, and they're... Fucking huge, especially in Germany and, and Scandinavia. Like it's like fifteen thousand people every night. And it's two nights in one city yeah. tonight. Cologne. True. Two nights it's in one town. Insane. It's insane. It's in, it's crazy. It is it is crazy. It's a little nerve wracking at times, honestly, for me. For you. Yeah. Well you can't handle the big a big arena no, crowds. I just, I, I've been waiting my whole life for this shit. No, it's just that it's just that uh I don't know how crazy their fans are about Baroness. Right. I mean, you guys fall under the, but we all three of us fall under a different category of hard and heavy. Yes. In the hard and heavy world, we all belong. Yeah. It's just how receptive certain patches of people are to certain bands. It's a little rough in general opening up for arena sized bands, like Trans Am did a tour opening up for Tool, 
and we just kept we just kept our set short. We played the heavy songs, and I thanked Tool in between every song, and that made it okay. That's what you do in this yeah, situation, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the Baroness set is one hour, which is I think is too long for for a direct support in an arena. And we're just, it's just, it's pretty different from Volbeat. So I think the fans are just, I mean, I don't blame them. They're just, they want to see their their favorite band. These are these people are like totally diehard Volbeat fans. Yeah, opening up for Volbeat at times is like opening up for, you know, Metallica and Slayer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember when we opened up for the Rolling Stones, I told Whoa, this story. Oh, you opened up the Rolling Stones? Yeah, we did. Sick. See how I slipped it in there, That's man? That's awesome. Yeah, I just slipped That's it in great. there. No, but we, we, we did it. You haven't slipped that in before. I, I do it like four or five times per tour. Nice. Okay, tell me tell me more. Well, it was in O2, and they were doing their 40 Licks Greatest Hits Tour. Awesome. And we were chosen to open for them in Toronto. We get up on stage, and everybody's just, you could see it on their face, fuck off. It, was it a stadium show? No, it was an intimate 1,000 pre, oh, pre-show oh, warm-up. Oh, like, like before spe- special the, tickets. And, yeah, yeah, before yeah. The, uh, the big tour. Yeah. So... I looked out in the crowd. Everybody wants us to fuck off. Of course. So we were in our hometown, and I said, listen, you know, you guys, we want to all see the Stones, but right now, kid from Scarborough, kid from Thornhill, you know, yeah. a kid, kid from Casenza's open up for the Stones, man. Yeah, and, and then that got everybody on our side. So this, you got to... You know, you're, you're, you're good with, uh, with the stage hype. Yeah, it's fun. I know. You're, I, you're I good at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, being behind the kit, I always find drummers to be frustrated... Uh, well, in, in lead Am, singers. I, I, I did do a lot of the in, in between stage song stage banter because right. I, I can be I can be kind of rambunctious. Yeah, I, I feel drummers that there's always a there's always a not a, not in our situation now, but in the past, I always felt there's always a tension between drummers and singers due to this. Yeah, this whole who, who who's the bigger front man? Oh, who's the bigger performer? Right. Right. I mean, Baroness is John's band. No, I know, but in general, like drummers, <laughs> yes. drummers want everybody to look at them yeah, as right. much as singers and do. And also, like in rock or hard rock or metal, like drummers are, they can be one of the focal points for sure. Yeah, like yeah. that's why there's, you know, uh, uh, Dave Grohl can go back and forth. Yeah, Nicky yeah. Anderson goes back and yeah, forth. Yeah. It's an, it's a common thing. Yeah, yeah. No, and no, I, no. I wanted to drum. All right, I don't. Yeah, I played I played bass and guitar in some bands. So like but that. did you sing? Did you front? No, no, no. But you fronted Trans Am. I didn't front way. Trans Am. But you were the talking. I I would yeah I would do the banter sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, yeah. And sometimes we would like we would all do it, which was I think was kind of fun. Yeah, like we'd have little conversations on stage. I would see uh, yeah I, I didn't see you do the banter when no, we played. No, no, that was no not that early on I didn't do it. Right. Oh. man, I was I'm out of touch with you guys in terms of. I mean we. We, so that was 97 we toured together? Yeah. That's 22 years ago. I'm going to dig up the flyer. I have yeah. it. I, it might be in one of our CDs. Okay. It actually might be in okay. one of the CDs. That would be awesome. So I'll dig it up. And Six Finger Satellite, they were a big influence on Trans Am. Really? Yeah. Because they, they, had, they had that sort of like uh, DAF and you know influence and like and and this and the synths with the with the rock drums and the bass guitar and sort of like yeah. two two way army kind like like a punk rock two way army kind of thing right it was very very influential on us but didn't you guys come up this, at the same time they they were they're a little more senior than us they were like oh. a couple of years earlier because we saw them play live at the old black cat in dc before before our tour right and it was a terrifying show. 
was it Ajay, the singer, right? Right? I think, yeah. Yeah, he he was like throwing shit from the stage, and he's like a huge guy. And he always reminded me of... They were all dressed up. It was really scary and awesome. Uh, dressed up like aliens? I think they're all wearing white. Oh, okay. It he, was it was fun. He always reminded me of like Ben Affleck in Days and Confused. Okay. Remember that movie? Yeah, I can see that, that. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. same hair too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always I always looked at him going, wow, big big head. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you're not like that character. But no, he was, he's he's cool, dude. He's a cool dude. Yeah, but he's definitely like uh, loud and oh, he's very and also physically like uh, imposing. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a big guy. Yeah, but they were they were a great band, very very in, oh, I loved in, them. influential for us. And, oh, I didn't um, know that they influenced you. Oh yeah, and then um, and then uh, I thought it was like craft work and all that. Well, yeah, and all that. But shit. but that shit influenced Six Finger Satellite. Right, right. You know, I'm, they, they were just one of the few bands that were that were mixing those elements like we were. You right, know? right. But um, and then uh, John McClane became Juan McClane. You know, his his you don't his he has like a dance project, like a house music project. It's actually oh. pretty successful. See, I don't. And then James Murphy did an LCD sound system. And James Murphy was their sound man in that era. Really? Yes. <laughs> yes. So would he have been at the show? I think I, he, we toured more with Six, Finger, with Six Finger Satellite after that. And James was definitely their sound man. Maybe not at our shows. I don't but, remember. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, small world, huh? Well, it is a small world in the Are they from DC too or outside? No, who? Six Finger? They're from Providence. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But I was just felt that there was like always a it was like a, such a small world from DC and Olympia, Washington for some reason. Yeah, people moved back and forth. It was so Quite weird. Why? Cuz it's both say Washington. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's true. That's tr- so I, weird. I didn't know. They I didn't they, they both they both had like, you know, political underground punk rock scenes, I think is yeah, but sure, but th- just those two cities going back and forth. I don't know. I don't know why, like why specifically those two towns. But yes, it's true. There was a big crossover. Okay, now you're saying about you brought up the these uh, these EDM projects. You have uh, your own yeah, project. I would, I, would I would hesitate to hesitate to call it EDM because I think even though it is technically Sorry. electronic dance music, I know people get. It has ruffled feathers over that. EDM is more like it has a connotation of like really mainstream like music. Oh, does it? Music. Well, fest. I'm I'm a mainstream dance fan. Okay. Well, See, I don't know anything. Well, then, was what I'm yeah. saying. Um, so yeah, Juan McLean is John's alter ego, which is it's 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 kind of like house music basically, okay. but but cool underground weird with a bit of other influences, you know. I mean, he's he's a smart guy. He's you know he he knows his music history. Yeah, I think all the smart punk rockers got into house music. Yeah, I mean uh, Steve Gamboa, <laughs> uh, amongst others, and but uh, and then yeah, and then and then he's got his own thing. I don't know what he's doing now, but he definitely was he was DJing for a while. Oh, what, what spinning records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't making dance music. Was I don't it? think he was making it. I think oh. he was just or throwing parties. Oh, so he's like a. Just, just, just getting in that world, you know. Oh, I see. But this is a while ago. It was like almost twenty years ago, maybe. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 I can't remember. I think I slept at his house once. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think. So yeah. So publicist is that thing. It's like I lived in I lived in England for five years, 
and going to parties to warehouse parties there it really opened my eyes like uh. hey you can go to a warehouse party where there's a dj that's playing interesting underground dance music and the people that are there are people that you're friends with are not douchebags right because right. in america right. a lot of clubbing is pretty fucking lame night of the roxbury type exactly of right so that's how I, I was like oh cool like this is another this is like another version of like a punk rock scene right except that there's dancing okay i get it and right. djs and everybody there's cool and smart and interesting and and but just having fun so that inspired me and i said to myself you know i, I know how to i know how to use midi i know how to program beats i know how to mix I, I, so and i also know how to drum so my idea was i would program the bass lines and the, and the chords just press play on that with a sequencer or whatever situation and then i would have a click track in my ears and i would just play drums on the dance floor instead of using a drum machine because right. a lot of like live you know electronic performances are somebody presses play on the drum machine and then they play synth with their fingers. You don't see movement. Right. So I said, why not do the opposite? Press play on the bass line right. and play drums with your, with your physicality, right? Which I think is more fun to watch than somebody yeah. playing a little keyboard. It's why I can't get into it's, it's way watching more dance DJs. Well, I, I agree. And that's why I, I don't watch them. Yeah. That, uh, ideally, when I go to these parties, you're just interacting with the other people who are partying. You're not watching the DJ. That, to me, is very weird, how young people stare at the DJ. Yeah. It's like, that's not the point. It's just some dude jumping up and down in front of his laptop. Like, yeah. who cares? It's dumb. I think so, too. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so, so I was doing publicists for a while. And that, when I was living in London, actually, it was reasonably successful. Every weekend, I would go to Europe. I'd play Friday and Saturday. And then I would go back to London and hang out during the week and then do it again. And just play these weird little parties in France or Germany. And it was pretty cool. It was fun. And then, and then I moved back to America, and it kind of fell apart. Uh, because in America, like, the promoters are, are much more, uh, for better or worse, are much more specific. And, about, and like, th- like, this night is going to be, like, second-generation Detroit techno. This night's going to be, like, first-generation Chicago Acid House. It's, like, very specific. And what I was doing was just kind of just, like, my own weird conglomeration. And I think in New York, that doesn't work. They want, like... They're very knowledgeable and specific about their scene, about their subcultures, you know. So I came back to New York, and publicists started petering out, and then Baroness happened. Okay. And here I am. Publicist is still a thing. I just it's on the back burner. Did you put anything out? I, I put out a an EP a year ago with Igor Cavalera from Sepultura, who played uh, percussion on it. Because he's also into this kind of shit. That I know. His mix hell I follow. Exactly. And we're buddies and we send files to each other and and collaborate and stuff. What? I didn't know any of this. Small world, once again. (laughs) Oh, wow. So how did you hook up with Igor? We hooked up because I'm friends with uh, an act called Paranoid London from London, which is sort of a new acid house. They're really good. I highly recommend them. Paranoid London. And... uh, they came to see Baroness in London, and they brought Igor, and we hung out, and then I kept on running into him at, at like at metal fests or hard rock fests, and then we just started, right. then we're like, hey man, let's do something together. So he has a label, so we did some tracks together, and yeah. So publicist is out on Igor's label. Yeah, uh, Delayed Records. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yes, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. 
you know, it's like publicists just got cooler to me. Yeah, it's just like it's just like there's there's multiple things that are cool in music, and yeah, it's yeah. and and personally for me, like I like to sort of like I get like when I go home, like I've been playing drums for ten weeks now with Baroness. I definitely want to start fiddling with my synths when I go home. You know, I like to sort of like change it up a little bit. Right. You know. So what? More publicist. Right. Exactly. Right. Like I don't want. I, sometimes I. You just need like a breath of fresh air artistically, aesthetically. You know. Sometimes. Oh yeah. No, I get it. You know, and. Uh, I've got a noise album. Oh really? On the on the works. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's like, there's. I mean, if you're musicians are not as close-minded as fans think sometimes. You know. Yeah, I really. I mean, that's the thing. Is also. Uh, being the opening band, and I, yeah. I've, we felt this more in America than in Europe. Yeah. Uh, but I find the crowd doesn't realize that the opening bands are there because the the band, the headlining band, wants them there. Sure, of course, I know. They don't understand. They think it's I a know. sporting match, and you're supposed to root for the headliner. I know. They don't realize that we're all friends. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's so weird. And it's like, I mean, you guys go over way better than we do. Baroness is just a little too introspective and weird and moody for this night, you know? Maybe. Which, which, which is funny to say, because it's not, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that introspective and moody, just compared to Volbeat and Danko. I think people who are coming to this arena show to see Volbeat yeah. don't want to get introspective totally at agree. that moment. Totally agree. And last night we, we cut out one of the ballads and I think it was a good idea. Mm. We changed, we switched it up for a rocks for a, a rocker. And I, I mean, we do that when we're yeah. playing some sort of, totally. we're going to be at a heavy I, metal show. I do think you, I do think you need to tailor yeah. a little bit. We're not going to play the, whoa, whoa, yeah, 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 yeah songs. We're just going right. to play the half step songs. Yeah, of course. Like it's like, yeah, you don't want to antagonize everybody. Just try to work with the evening. Yeah. You know, be conscious of the context. And I think, you know, the people who come to see a Volbeat show who maybe know a little bit more about music and can place Baroness in proper context, enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always people. I mean, our, our goal with this tour was not to, you know, do a normal Baroness tour. It was to try to introduce ourselves to new people. And these are big crowds. And the number we always threw out was like, if 10% of the crowd likes us, mm -hmm. that's 1,000 yep. people that have never heard you before who might go check you out on Spotify or come next time we play or buy an album or whatever. Tell their friends, yeah. whatever. Yeah, like uh, we go on, really, we're first on. The, the arena isn't full. And yet that's about five to six sold-out nights worth of people if we were to play on our own in that city. Totally. Totally. So, like, we're happy to do it. Yeah, of course. Well, we've been on the receiving end. We've been yeah. the opening band when everybody's yelling out the name of the headliner while yeah. while I'm trying to. <laughs> it's really fucking. It's funny, man. And I, I like, and I come across as somewhat of a heel a lot of the time, and and so. No, but I think you do. I think you do the right thing. You come off. You're, you're like, you're like an entertainer on stage. You're like, you're like really like, you're like coaching the crowd. But I think which sometimes. When I'm screaming at, some, at the crowd, some people mistake it for me yelling at them, oh. at least in our experience in America. Okay, okay. And they don't like On that. On this tour, it's worked. In this tour, it's, I think people get it. But also, like, I'm yelling out, you guys and Volbeat. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm honestly thankful. That they showed up as early yeah, as we go on. Like, yeah, and then Volbeat, and everyone's like, yeah. And you're like, and then Baroness. And it's like, 
<laughs> for for when I say your name. And then well, I will honestly, I will admit <laughs> that I've been saying your name. I say your name, yeah. and then I quickly say, "Yeah." Right. So I do the cheering just to, myself. Just to cover up the, yeah, I do the cheering myself. The, the crickets. <laughs> I do. I've been doing that for the past week. But it, there's not crickets. I mean, no. there's people who want to see you. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. You know, the tendency is to focus on the one person who's got their arms folded at all times. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, is, it is a very good experience for me, though, because, like, you get – one can get really spoiled doing your own tours all the time, yeah. playing for your small room of dedicated fans. Because, like, you know, like – like you, you, you tune your snare drum, and it was like, oh, or like John changes his guitar pedal. Ooh, yeah. Nobody gives a shit here. Nope. You know, like you got to. This is the great gotta, equalizer. You gotta yeah. You got to work. Yeah. You, you know. Um. Yeah. I. I remember we did it. We opened up for Nickelback. Wow. <laughs> That's the, that is wow. everybody's reaction. They're Canadian, right? Yeah, we did it yeah. in Canada. Yeah. How was that? I mean, for us, it was amazing. Yeah. We're a band. We've been playing clubs, urine-smelling clubs, yeah. and you know, dicks on the wall. Yeah. And then suddenly, we're playing every NHL arena in Canada. That's awesome. We were fucking. I, we didn't care if people were making fun of us because we were on tour with Nickelback. People still make fun of us for that. Right. But they don't understand that a band that's been like, you know, sitting in clubs with dicks on the wall for yeah. fucking fifteen years. Yeah. We'll fucking love to do it. Of course. It. You can't be too cool for school. Well, there were, we weren't the first band asked to do that tour. Oh, so some, some people were. People turned it down. To turn down an arena tour yeah. is who do you think you are? Yeah. It's, I mean, the music exists because people listen to it, you know? And there's so many great drummers we'll never hear because they don't leave their practice space. Yeah, yeah. There's so yeah. many great songwriters in their bedroom who yep. have made these killer albums that we're never going to hear because they're just too cool or too shy or too whatever to put it out there so it kind of it's kind of doesn't it's like a moot point you know yeah <laughs> if you don't put it out there yeah no i uh 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 i was gonna make a point but yeah no it's true you just got to go out and do it definitely and and you know we'll see next summer when we come back for festivals if more people know who the hell we are because of this tour I mean, we, we, I do feel like we've also made some, like, people that hate us now that have never heard of us. But that's fine. They weren't going to be fans anyway. You, you didn't lose anybody. Exactly. They were already not part of, the, part of the, our thing. So Yeah. That's the, I think the reason for being on this tour for you guys is you, you, the right reason. Yeah. We're also learning about how to play a bigger stage in a bigger room. You know, like, we're starting to use wireless now, stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a different beast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. When you played, when Trans Am played with Tool, were they doing these size arenas? Yeah, it was. It oh, was back even back then. It was Canada and because w- Western Canada, Western U.S., and it was ice hockey arenas. Right. Yeah, Tool it was like tour now, and they're doing like arenas. Eighteen thousand people every night. Oh, right. oh my god! It was terrifying, and Tool fans are completely dedicated. Yeah, they're single-minded. Single-minded, yeah. But yeah, yeah I would say like, yeah, I want to thank Tool between every song, and it was right, like, right. Ah, like I, I didn't give them a chance to boo us. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, before the booing could start, I would thank Tool. That's what you got to do. But, I mean, Tool fucking loves us, especially Danny. I mean, he's a, we're, we're still buddies. We hang out. He comes to see Trans Am play, you know. Oh, well, then that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. You should, we, you should reunite and jump on this tour they're on. I should. I should ask him. Whoa, did I just, <clears throat> did I just hatch something? Maybe. I, if you're talking about Trans Am, I think Phil and Nate are, like, 
They're pretty. I think they're pretty settled. <laughs> but a tool tour? Yeah, I don't know. I think they're pretty settled. Okay. You know. Well, hey, and you, you. I don't know if you're my first. No, you're not my first. I'm pretty sure there's been a couple other guests on, who are a Grammy nominated yes. guest. Yes. So. That was wow! What an honor. Oh, it was super weird. It was awesome. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, an honor for the podcast. Oh, thank. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. I don't know. Yeah, it was. It, the short story about that is that, of course, we were like, we're obviously not going to win this, but we're going to go because. Who were you up against? Um, okay, Megadeth, Gojira, Periphery, Periphery, wow, and fuck, and Corn. Is it the year Megadeth won? Yes. Okay, I know that year, yeah. Yeah, and so we were like, obviously we're not going to win this, right? Mm-hmm. But we're going to go to L.A. and party and wear weird suits. So yeah. that was awesome. We had red carpet, interviews, photos. It was, like, super fun. That's cool. We all have friends in L.A. It was really fun and yeah. silly and, and, like, a weird moment. And then we go to the auditorium because the, the, the metal category is during the day. Yeah, of course. And so, and we're all sitting there, and then like you know, there's like there's like a hundred categories, and it starts getting closer and closer to the best metal performance. And suddenly, we're like looking at each other, and we're like, "Well, wait, what if we actually win?" Like we hadn't thought of it. And suddenly, you you realize you're like you're you're like one out of five bands. It might actually happen. And we started panicking. We're like, "What do we do? Like, who's this? What's who's what? What the hell? Like, we hadn't, we hadn't prepared anything, right? right?" And then, and then you start getting more and more excited. And then they announced Megadeth as the winner. And so three funny things. First of all, we all were like, fuck, which is funny because literally half an hour before we were like, there's no, A, I don't care about winning. B, there's no way we're going to win. Right. And then as soon as they mentioned Megadeth, we're like, God damn it. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> the other funny thing is Korn immediately stood up and walked out. Oh, wow. And the third funny thing is that as Megadeth walked down to the stage to receive their award, the house band started playing Master of Puppets by Metallica. I heard about that and we were all like oh my god oh like my what? God. and we didn't know if it was an accident or if they were sort of like needling them or what I couldn't have been that I think it was an accident I think they're yeah. like oh this is a really famous metal song yeah yeah because I think he's got writing credit on it oh right he, they might have just like looked it up oh it's possible yeah I think he's got I think he does you know, know. I, I don't know yeah. I know he has that's writing credit on two tracks on master okay it's a good that's that's a good point that's funny, man. That's crazy. And then, and then uh, Dave Mustaine was like, he was like, his in his speech was like, yeah, this is. I think he said it was like their twelfth nomination. All right. <laughs> so and the first win and the first. Yeah, win. yeah. Right. Well, you got eleven more to go. Yeah. So I mean, I'm whatever. It's. I mean, look. Here's the thing. It was really fun. It's a really big honor, especially because a lot of the people that vote are other bands, which is awesome. But having said all that, I've never once in my life has has anybody ever said to me. You gotta check out this band. They just won a Grammy. Yeah, yeah. Never. Ha- In fact, if anybody ever would have said that to me, I would have been like, "Yeah, I'll pass." Yeah. You know. So it does, in that sense, who cares? It is fun and it is an honor, and it's great to tell your parents. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, for a band like Megadeth, it's like, uh, I guess it's a matter. Of, they, it's a matter of time. Yeah, really. they have to have. Yeah. Because if they don't, I mean, that's for a while. The joke was that the metal category was like a. Um, Lifetime Achievement Award because it usually yeah, it usually went is. to a classic yeah. band, but then 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 they started. Now they're doing uh, Macedon one, High on Fire one. So yeah, now they're doing more yeah. contemporary. I bands. mean, Gajira. All the other ca- uh, nominees are pretty new. Yes. You guys, Gajira, totally, totally. Periphery. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. Are they, are they Australian? Canadian? 
I don't think Periphery are Canadian. Shit. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think they are. But yeah, it was fun. Maybe they are. Yeah, I don't know. Fuck, I gotta check. On the periphery of America. There you go. <laughs> Is that how we end it? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thank you, Dan. It was my pleasure. Thank you.